you, Brother Charlie. The title of our lesson this morning is Equipped for Godliness. Our family theme is Growing in Grace. Our objective is that we would add certainly godly characters. And of course, God's Word is our blueprint for growth. We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning. Two key truths. Number one, uh, God gives believers everything we need for God of living. Second key truth is Christ's example and God's inspired word are the basis for all of our spiritual growth. Under our Bible basics, we are encouraged to uh, memorize 2 Peter 3.18, where Peter said, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Also, where does this fit? Well, Peter's writing this letter. He's writing to believers <clears throat> sorry, who have been dispersed among Asia Minor, probably uh, around A.D. 64 to 67, and most scholars believe it was shortly before he would leave uh, this world. I'll get started this morning. We are uh, talking about being equipped for godliness, and we're going to find out there are steps that we can do to help become more godly. And if you think about uh, a lot of things in life, there are certain steps you have to do in order to make those things come to fruition. And, of course, being in the building business for many, many years, I realize how important that is. Uh, because when you, when you begin to build a building, where do you start with? Why is that, Wayne? Yes, exactly. You start with the foundation, and of course, then you build your way up. I, I had have, I have to laugh at my uncle. He's a year younger than I am, not nearly as smart as I am. Uh, but he, he did learn a little bit about uh, wiring houses uh, years ago. In fact, uh, he went to a, like a uh, junior college for a couple of years to learn electricity. And uh, he was helping his son-in-law uh, rewire a house that they had um, they had, and they, they actually they stripped it all down to the studs so they could run new wires. And his son-in-law was also an electrician, a commercial electrician. And my uncle called me. He said, well, I'm going to go up this weekend, and uh, we got all the wire in, and we're going to put the receptacles in in the boxes. I said, you've got the drywall already hung? He said, well, no. I said, well, you don't do it that way. You don't put receptacles, you know. I said, first of all, if I was a drywall hanger, I'd be mad at you. And you come back in and take everyone back out again. Because it just makes that job so difficult. I know in the process of building houses through the years, even built our own house, uh, usually once you get it framed up, of course you get it framed up and then you put the, get your roof on, get it dried in. And then the first people that want to come in are the heating guys. They want to run all their heat ducts first. Uh, because they don't want any wiring or any plumbing uh, in their way. So there's steps you've got to follow. Today we're going to find out if we're going to grow in Christ, God's Word gives us some precepts and steps that we need to follow uh, to build upon that foundation of faith. And Wayne, you mentioned that word foundation a moment ago, building up any kind of building, that's where you start. And as a child of God, if we are going to build in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, increase in that grace and knowledge, we've got to start with the foundation of faith. We have to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So that's what we're going to talk about today, how we can become more like God uh, every day of our life. Now, by the way, we're in Second Peter. What does that tell us? 
about Peter's letters? It's the second one. All right, he already wrote one. Because we know there's no third Peter, so this is his second letter. And again, First uh, Peter reminds us as well that he's writing to believers through Asia Minor, and he's doing the same. Now, the problem was there were false teachers who had entered to the church or uh, infiltrated the church and was trying to draw people away with false teaching. And Peter wants to uh, make sure these believers are steadfast, and he realized they needed to grow in their faith, and they needed to mature when it comes to understanding uh, key doctrines of Christianity. Now, I hope that, you know, you've been coming here long enough that you realize how important doctrine is, teaching of the Word of God. But not just knowing it, but understanding those things and applying them to our lives. So Peter said, I want to, I want to give you a firm foundation and I want you to grow and I want you to grow your faith. I want you to, to mature and I want you to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Let's pick it up in chapter two. I'm sorry. Chapter one of first, the second Peter. Anybody want to volunteer uh, to read the, uh, First 15 verses. Now, I got a problem today. My two main leaders are out of town. So, I went to get with him. God said, You can't be gone at the same time. You know, make it. Anybody want to volunteer to read? Anybody brave enough? Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto godliness, life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence to add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore... I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, 
I think it meets. As long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tabernacle, this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. What a, what a promise we have. Peter again is writing the second epistle. He identifies himself with both his Hebrew name Simon and his Greek name Peter. He identifies as a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. But he also identifies as an apostle. Why would he do that? Absolutely. The, to verify his presence, because to be an apostle, you have, you have had to have seen Jesus Christ. And so that certainly verified that. But also understand, it gave him special authority. Without a doubt, he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we need to remember, the New Testament, our faith, is based on the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles. He gave them the authority to go out and to share his word and to spread the gospel. So Peter wants his readers to know, I'm not just some fly-by-night. I'm not some charlatan. I'm not someone to come up with my own ideas. I have the authority from God to share what I'm about to share with you. So my question, is that important? Sure it is. Because there are a lot of false teachers trying to infiltrate the church. And, of course, by the way, it's still true today. And that's why it's important we know sound doctrine. Now, again, he's writing to believers in Asia Minor. Here's what's interesting. He He says to them, they have like faith with him. Now, let me ask you a question. I hope you know the answer to this. Can everybody be a true apostle? No. You're right, Wayne. Why? Because not everybody saw Christ. So they can't share his authority as an apostle. But Peter says, our faith is the same. When it comes to faith in Christ, we are on equal ground. Now, don't miss that. Obtain like faith, okay? So they couldn't share his position as an apostle, but their faith was the same as Peter's. Thank God for that. And Peter wants them to know that. Now, by the way, we talk about when it, to be saved, we have to believe, we need to have faith. But we need to remember, and this is so important, biblical faith, it means, without a doubt, biblical faith means that we have to realize we are sinners, believe we are lost, and turn to Jesus Christ if we are going to be made right with God. We have to have that identification. So when Peter talks about their faith being equal to his faith, he's acknowledging they've shared 
and understood that, yes, they were sinners. They turned to Christ in order to be saved from their sins. So my question is, how is anybody saved? The same way. We all come the same way. And Peter says, my desire is that grace and and peace be multiplied to you. But in order for that to happen... Peter realized they needed to be rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, grounded in the knowledge of God. Now think about it for a minute. Certainly it includes intellectual knowledge. There's no doubt about that. But when the Bible speaks about the knowledge of God, it goes deeper than that. It's talking about a daily experience with Christ, a daily intimate relationship with God, And that's how we have that knowledge. Now, without a doubt, it begins at salvation. But does that, does gaining knowledge of Christ, does it stop at salvation? No, not at all. It continues throughout our life with our walk with God. Now, here's what's interesting. And this is such a great promise. Peter says in verse 3 that God has given us divine power. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. What does that mean? What does that mean? Amen. You know, one of the biggest hindrances I had, other than being a sinner, that's the biggest one, but I remember thinking about salvation. Uh, Pam and I used to attend church with my grandmother. We were lost. We knew that. We came to Ohio, and we visited a little white church where my office is now at the time. And we came and for several weeks and months, off and on. We were lost. We knew that. But I thought, Lord, if I, if I got saved, I just could, I, there's no way I can do this. I, I can't live, because I had no idea what all included, but I thought, you know, I can't live different. But what I didn't realize, when we come to Christ, God gives us everything we need. To live a life that honors Him. So my question is, if God didn't give it to us, where would that leave us? We couldn't do it. We simply could not do it. It's interesting here. Uh, this this power, uh, a very important word. So God has equipped us. Every believer. Now remember... Peter was an apostle. They couldn't share that, but they shared the faith that he had, the faith in God. And because of that, Peter wants them to know that God has given you, he's equipped you to live your life in a way that will please him. But not only that, God has given us the divine power to overcome any obstacle that may come along our way as we walk hand in hand with Christ. Now, does that mean we'll never have any trials or temptations? No. Doesn't mean we'll not have difficulties, but it does mean we have God's divine power to help us overcome those things in our lives. Our, our uh, teacher guy pointed out that uh, the word uh, given there that Peter uses is not the usual Greek word for given. Uh, it certainly means that, but it adds a connotation And what it does, it points out how good that gift is. The glory of that gift. Now think about that. 
Think about how important that gift is to us. Think about how that gift changes our life. And that's the idea behind that Greek word there. It carries the idea of the worth of that gift, how valuable it is, and not just that gift itself. So Peter says, not only do we have this divine nature, we're partakers of that divine nature. We, we partake of that nature because God has made it available to us. What that means is we share in that. Now, by the way, in spite of what some teachers on the radio may say, we don't become little gods. Uh, we don't become divine. There's only one God, and guess what? We're not Him. There's only one God that separates Him from us. But we partake of that nature. That nature of God is now working in us. Now, most of us have been saved for quite a few years. But I remember, and I walked with Christ these many years, how often I would think, you know, Lord, you've changed this in my life. I've changed, you know, this change has come in my life. And I have to realize that change doesn't come from my power. Whose power does it come from? It comes from God's. He's given us everything we need for life and uh, godliness. Peter also points out, because of our, our union with Christ, God has set us free from the corruption that is, that is in this world. I'll be preaching more about that hopefully this morning in our, in our worship time. But it's interesting. This is what God has done for us. Would you agree it's a marvelous gift? That's why we're changed. Uh, that's why God is making a difference in our lives, and hopefully we're making a difference in our world to those uh, we come in contact with uh, day by day. Now, it's also interesting. Uh, you know, Peter's concerned. He's concerned about the false teachers, and he wants those he's writing to to be strengthened in their faith. He, he wants them to... Uh, to be able to stand against false doctrine. So Peter says what you, what you need to do, and again, he's an apostle here. He has that apostolic authority. And, and Peter says, look, there's no doubt you're saved. You've got the same faith I have. But Peter says there's at least seven qualities you need to add to your faith. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Now remember, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It's a gift of God. No one can earn that. God has given us that salvation. But Peter says, now that you have that, now that you share the same faith that I have in Christ, you need to add some things to your faith. And Peter says, first of all, you need to add virtue. What in the world is virtue? What is virtue? Anybody have any idea? I'll take a guess at it. It's simply uh, moral character. Having a moral character to your life. So Peter says, add to your faith, add virtue. And then he says to add knowledge. Now again, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. It's not just an intellectual knowledge. But it's knowledge from having a close, intimate, personal relation with God. And this knowledge comes from the Spirit of God that lives in us. That's why when we're saved, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live in us. But also understand, this kind of knowledge is based on the Word of God. Now, I hope by now in your walk with God, I'm sure it has, that you realize as you read God's Word, 
Not only are you gaining intellectual knowledge, there's nothing wrong with that. But as you grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ, all of a sudden you begin to realize, you know, I'm not just growing intellectually. I am growing in my relation with Christ. I am becoming closer and closer to Him as I spend time in the Word of God, as I spend time in prayer, as I allow the Spirit of God to minister to my life. So Peter says, add knowledge. Knowledge that comes from the Holy Spirit. And says, to your knowledge, add temperance. And that means literally to control your passions, whatever they are. Control your passions. Do I have any passionate people here? The fact is we all are, okay? Now we show up to different degrees, but that includes our desires and all those things are included there. And Peter said we're to add to our faith virtue, knowledge, and we're to add temperance. We must control our passions. And by the way, Paul uses the same uh, word there when he gives the proofs of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. So we've got temperance, and then we're to add patience. What does that mean? What does that mean? It literally means endurance. We're to stick with it. We're to stay the course, and we are to add patience to our faith. And Peter realizes that whether it was them in that day or us today, we are going to need patience Whenever we face any kind of persecution, any kind of pressure, any kind of trial in our life, we are going to need endurance. We've got to make our mind up. We are going to stay the course. We're not going to give up. And Peter said to your patience or to your endurance, you need to add godliness. And that simply means becoming more and more like God having a right reverence toward God and understanding that God wants us to be more and more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're to add godliness to our lives. Also understand, uh, Peter talks about not only our reverence toward God, but he said we're going to add brotherly kindness, our brotherly love to our faith as well. And what that simply means, we have a concern for needs of other people. When Paul wrote the church at Rome, he said, no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. We're not on an island. We affect the lives around us. And Peter says, add to your faith brotherly kindness. Have concern for brothers and sisters in the family of God. And then he says to add charity. And, of course, that is a genuine love a kind of love that Jesus had, a self-sacrificing love that Jesus Christ showed us that God demonstrated when he sent his son to die on Calvary for us. So Peter gives us seven qualities. Which one of those are important? Which one are important? Every, amen, thank you, Wayne. Every one of those qualities are very, very, very important. But Peter also says, he gives us a warning here. First of all, he said, if you want to be fruitful in your life, if you want to continue to grow in your grace and knowledge, you've got to add these seven qualities to your faith. But then he gives a warning. He says, if you don't add these qualities, 
If you can't claim these in your life, Peter says you'll end up being short-sighted. In fact, he said you'll forget. You will forget the grace you received when you came to Jesus Christ. So, folks, it is important that we add these virtues, these qualities, these characteristics to our faith. Now, remember, Peter already said it. We have light, precious faith. So he emphasizes again, if you will, he understands who they are. He knows they've been born again. And he knows they're already established in the truth. But Peter said, I want you to keep growing. I want you to keep maturing in your walk with God. Now, it's kind of interesting. We get down to verses 12 and 13 and throughout the rest of the chapter. You notice he used that word remember or remembrance over and over again. What's that mean? What's Peter wanting them to do? To remember. To remember. Uh, I was last summer, summer before last, Anna was helping uh, Jason do my PowerPoints on Wednesday night. And he, she, Jason said he came to the Why does Papua keep repeating stuff every week? Because you don't remember. We don't remember. Peter did that. So I'm, I'm following Peter's example. But we all need reminded, and Peter was going to do that. And he realized, you know what? As long as I'm living, Peter said, I'm going to continue to remind you of these important things so that you might not forget them. Now, by the way, Peter knows uh, through God speaking to him in some kind of way, Peter knows that his life here on earth is short. In fact, you know, Jesus had warned him in John how he would die. Uh, but nonetheless, he realizes that. And Peter says, you know what? The time I've got left, however long it might be, I'm going to continue to warn you about these things. And that's why Peter said it's more urgent that I do it now because my time is limited. So here's what's interesting. Peter said my goal is, and I don't care how many times I've got to repeat it, Peter said, I want you to come to a place in your lives that you will always remember these things I'm teaching you. That even after I'm gone, you remember the things that were taught to you by me, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants them to grow in their spiritual growth. So let's apply it. We must become effective and confident in our faith. And the only way we can do that, the only way is to add these godly qualities to our life. Continually growing in our faith. <clears throat> so let me ask today, we, Peter says God has given us everything we need to live for Him. What are some of the things God's given us to live for Him? What are some of the things? How about His Word? He gives us His Word. Uh, he warns us. His Word corrects us. Where do, you, where do we find out how to live? Right here. Amen. From the Word. We have, if you will, a blueprint right here for our lives. I, Jason stepped out, but that's kind of his forte. He's uh, sort of a, in the architectural field where he works and does things like that. And I'm always getting on him about this because almost every blueprint I've had through the years, they, they, they kind of... How should I say this? Put a disclaimer there to cover themselves. 
They always have a footnote, field measure. So, But understand, folks, God's Word is sure. This is our blueprint for how to live our lives. Now, what's interesting, Peter, and I didn't spend much time on this. I don't think I even mentioned Peter said he gave us, you know, uh, this divine power. But he also gave us some precious promises, too. So we got the power and the promises. What are some promises that God's given us? What are some of the promises? Will he ever leave us? No, he will never leave us. Uh, will, did he promise to take us to heaven? Sure. Did he promise to come back again? Yes. Okay. And so all of these things, we've got divine power and we've got his precious promises. So first of all, our first key point, God gives believers everything we need for godly living. Now remember, God gives it to us. So my question is, if we are not living godly, who's to blame? Yeah, we are. Right. Thank you, Wayne. We are, every one of us, because God has given us everything we need to live God's life. Number two, the example of Christ and God's inspired word are our basis for spiritual growth. Anybody want to read? If you don't, I will. First, Second Peter 1, 16 through 21. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice from him, to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard, when we were with him in the holy mount, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that you take heed, as a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn. And the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We mentioned earlier one of the battles that Peter faced and even the other apostles that John wrote his epistles and James and Jude was that of false teachers. And again, Peter is trying to show the difference between God-inspired words from those of false teachers. Now, how many know you can teach what you want to teach? Isn't that true? And boy, in the world filled with teachers, people who try to tell you what to do and how to do it and when to do it, whatever it might be. And that's true. But what's interesting, these false teachers, they didn't really, well, they didn't like the truth of God. And so they decided we'll, we'll just put our opinions in there and share our opinions. And so they came teaching some 
very cleverly designed myths and, and uh, fairy tales, if you will. And uh, they were trying, without a doubt, to draw Christians away from Christ. Now, it's interesting. Peter said, now listen to me very carefully. He said, well, what we are teaching is not some fable. It's not a legend. It's not a story we have made up. Peter said, what we are teaching Our words to you are based on historical facts. Now, don't miss that, folks. That is so important. So important. Uh, Some years ago, of course, you know, my dad needed to be saved. Continue to pray for him. Uh, He just seems to get harder every time I try to talk to him about it. In fact, he's kind of let me know he didn't want to talk about it anymore. But I'm going to give up. I still want to pray for him. But uh, he was, you know, just talking one time to Jeremy about, you know, the different things. He brought the Mormons. Cause he has a sister and brother who are Mormons. And, uh, of course, he was trying to, trying to, uh, I guess, throw a curveball to Jeremy. And uh, Jeremy said, well, Grandpa, the key thing is this. What's taught in the Mormons, there's no historical facts for it. But what Jesus did, there's historical facts. If you remember, uh, whenever... Christ was arrested. Uh, when Paul was under arrest, both of them referred in so many words to the fact, you know, I didn't do these things in a corner somewhere. I wasn't hiding somewhere in, in Arabia. I did these things publicly. And so Peter said, hey, I want you to know what we, what I teach, what, what me as an apostle, and of course even in his letter he mentions uh, Paul as an apostle as well. So what we teach you is not some fable. It's not some made-up story. What we teach you is based on historical facts. And Peter is sharing that. And he realized, he said, I want you to know I was an eyewitness of the incarnate word. I was an eyewitness when Christ became flesh. And that's what I'm teaching you. What I teach you are truths that Jesus lived. How did Peter know it, by the way? Say it again. He traveled with him. He saw it. Nobody told him about it. He saw it. We were eyewitnesses. We saw him. But he also refers to a particular event, and that was on the Mount of Transfiguration. What happened there? Anybody remember? What happened on that day? Why did they call it the Mount of Transfiguration? It was the day that Christ was transfigured. And for just a little while, the veil of flesh was pulled away, and they could see him in his glory. And Peter said, we stood there that day, and we heard a voice from the glorious one God, who said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Now think about that, folks, the importance of that. The entire Old Testament points to who? Jesus Christ. The prophets, the law, you name it, they all point to Christ. And the Jews lived, the Orthodox Jews lived with the hope of the coming of Christ. If you remember when John the baptizer came on the scene, 
They asked him, who are you? He said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not he. Are you that prophet? No, I'm not him. Are you Elijah? No, not him either. I am one who's come to prepare the way. A couple of days later, you're standing there in John chapter 1, about verse 28, 29. And he turns, he sees Jesus coming. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John are standing there. All their lives they've been waiting for the Son of God. Now, don't misunderstand. They had, they had walked with him now almost three and a half years. But what does God do? He speaks and he verifies what? He is my Son. Peter, James, and John, don't worry. Don't look for another. He is my beloved Son. And it validated that and verified that to the apostles. Now remember, they heard the voice of God. So Peter takes these eyewitness accounts. I didn't hear about him. I saw it, Peter said. I heard him speak firsthand. And I want you to understand, you can be confident in what I teach you and what the other apostles may teach you as well. Now, it's interesting, and, and I must confess, uh, I, I, I used to interpret this verse the wrong way, uh, but Peter said, if we have a more sure word of prophecy. And for years in my, in, my, in my life, as I thought about God's word, I thought Peter was saying, well, we've had an experience, but something better than our experience is the word of God. Well, that's not what this verse means. It means that what God said that day, what that said, made prophecy Sure. In other words, everything they said about the Messiah in the Old Testament, guess what? It was true. And God verified. He made their prophecy sure. In fact, the Greek literally says, we have the prophetic word made more sure. That's what the literal Greek says. It is now made sure. Now remember, remember folks, and we're going to find in a moment all of God's words inspired, every bit of it. But the fact of the matter is, Peter says, when God says something is real, guess what? It's real. When God validates something, guess what? It's validated. Thank God. Peter says, now, now we have the prophetic word more sure because of what God said on the Mount of Transfiguration. Again, uh, many believe this represents what the prophets, the fulfillment of what prophecy was in the Old Testament. But nonetheless, Peter had saw this, he and the other, and two other apostles, and there was no way, no way anybody could dispute that. They didn't hear about it from somebody else. They saw it happen. And Peter says, we were eyewitnesses. Now also understand, because of the value of the Old Testament, all of the Bible in fact by now, the prophetic scripture in particular, Peter says, I want you to pay attention to the Word of God. Pay attention until the day dawns, uh, the day of the Lord. 
and the morning star rises in your hearts. A metaphor for the return of Jesus Christ. Peter says, focus on the Word of God. Spend this time in the Word of God, focusing on the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter reminds them, I want you to understand, he said, how the Word of God would help you as you walk with God every day in your pursuit of knowing the truth. Don't go to anything else. Go to the Word of God. Now, by the way, if we want to determine whether or not somebody is preaching the truth, where do we go to to verify it? Go to the Word. Go to the Word of God. Now, by the way, just go there, give it close attention, and put it into practice, because Peter says it's like a light shining in the dark places. The psalmist said, Thy words are light of my path, a lantern of my feet. God's word brings light into our lives. Now, in verse 20, Peter addresses the, uh, the Old Testament prophets. In fact, the entire Old Testament, but especially the prophets, uh, like Isaiah or Ezekiel. Uh, Daniel gives some prophecy. Uh, you'll see some prophecy in the Psalms as well. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, we have the minor prophets, the major prophets, and all in the Word of God. So my question is, where did that prophecy come from? Say it again, Wayne. It came from God. It came from God. No prophecy began with a man. None whatsoever started with their ideas. It wasn't because of their knowledge. Doesn't wasn't because they did certain things. This came only through divine leadership. And in verse 21, Peter sort of lays that out, how that worked out in reality. He reminds them and he reminds us that these men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were born along by the Holy Spirit. Now, that particular Greek word is a nautical term, and it was a word that was often used uh, as a result of wind filling a sail of a ship. And when wind fills that sail to the ship, what does it cause the ship to do? It moves. And Peter said that's how God's Word came into existence. It wasn't their own idea. It wasn't their private interpretation. They wrote as they were born along by the Spirit of God. Now, folks, we cannot miss that because... Peter gives us some, I think, some great information here because they're, con they're controlled by the Spirit of God. They are moved also along by uh, the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, all of these writers uh, maintain their human personalities, their own writing skills, and even their own experiences. But God took them and he had them write what he wanted them to write. Now, by the way, those who... Uh, do, do uh, critical studies of the Scripture to determine the validity of different things. 
they will they will study a certain book and they'll say, well, this one belongs to John or this one belongs to Isaiah. This is how Isaiah would write. That's his style. So God allowed them to use his style and their personalities. We get the bell already, Jason. He used that certainly, but he also made sure they wrote what he wanted them to write. So God bore them along, and that's exactly how they wrote what God wanted to write. Now, by the way, let me give you a couple of things. I think most of you know all about these today, but we're going to kind of highlight them. There's some important words that we use uh, whenever uh, we speak about the Word of God, and one of them is revelation, the revelation. Anybody know what that is? Not just the book now, but when you think about God's revelation. It's literally God giving, if you will, uh, direct communication to human beings, if you will, of truths that were not before revealed. Now remember, revelation is stopped. If you want God's revelation, where's it at? Right here. And not just in one book, the entire Bible. This is God's revelation. So God revealed to the writers what he wanted them to write. Second of all is the word inerrant. What does that mean? Anybody know? Without error. Now, how in the world can that be? Well, first of all, this is talking about uh, the original text of Scripture is without error. Now, hold on. There's a reason why that has to be true. Who spoke Scripture out? God did. Does God have error? No. So, therefore, the Word is without error. So, what He has said, what God said is without error, and no matter what He speaks about, it is in error. Another word that we, we use oftentimes is the word inspiration. The word inspiration. And we find that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, uh, the Greek word is theopneustos, and it simply means God breathed. God's Word is breathed out. Now, by the way, these are important doctrines of the New Testament. And let me make sure we understand. We preached some months ago now, maybe over a year ago, about these things being under attack. The sad thing is, we know, we understand why the world attacks, but how many know these are being attacked by some churches today? But I want to tell you, God's Word doesn't change. And God's Word is God-breathed. So we got Revelation, inerrancy, inspiration, and then we have the word infallible. What does that mean? What does that mean? We can trust it. Yes, it's true. We can trust it no matter what it says. Aren't you glad for God's word? And Peter said God has given us everything we need to live life and to live godly lives. Let's all stand together. Father, we thank you today for your words. Thank you for the divine power and the precious promises that we have. Lord, help us to add to our faith those seven qualities. Because, Lord, you said if we do, we would never stumble. Draw us near to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.